When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Cats at Night. Now, here's John Katsimatidis. Breaking news, WABC. And that breaking news, Mikhail Gorbachev, who ended the Cold War, dies at the age of 91. My God. I knew him well, and uh, he was a good man. Uh, Ed Cox, you knew him well, too. Well, I, I knew of him very well. Uh, my, father's, uh, my father-in-law's encounters with him, and also with Yeltsin. And this is not the end that Gorbachev wanted. He thought the Soviet Union would survive. It just needed glasnost and perestroika. You do the two together. Freedom of speech. He's 91 and 92 years old right now. Was. And uh, uh, our, you know, being involved in the Greek Orthodox Church and the Russians being Orthodox, um, we we honored him uh, one year. Uh, Why? He was a man of peace. And the, the fact was, when the Berlin Wall came down, Gorbachev had two choices, make war or let it happen. And you know what he chose? Let it happen. And we had a lot of discussions over dinner. The discussions over dinner was, I remember one question I asked him, did we ever, did there are two countries ever come close to World War Three? And I'll talk about it later. So stay tuned. I'll talk about it later. And the other discussion was uh, uh, that he was very religious. His daughter was with him. That one time I was with dinner with him. And his daughter, he loved his daughter. And his wife was a, a strict communist. And he had his mother, when his, when his wife was not home, he had his mother come, take his daughter, and had her baptized in the Russian Orthodox Church, and never told his wife. Wow. It was his his own what wife, a being a communist, a diehard communist, would have turned him in. Mm. And when his wife died, he told me he went behind the curtain and did his cross. Hmm. Wow. Well, let's have a show. This is the Cats are, This is Cats at Night, and this is the number one show at uh, 5 o'clock, and we're at TriCast. And uh, we have a full, a full, full studio today, and we have a lot of smart people here. And uh, we have uh, Nelson Happy. He's dean of the Regal uh, Law School. Is that correctly? Regent University. Regent University. And from Lawrence, Kansas, we have George Venizelos, the former head of the FBI in New York, New York uh, area. Uh, we have uh, with Ed Cox, 10 years, uh, with uh, a GOP chair of New York State, and Richard Nixon's son-in-law. And uh, we have 
Washington, Rudy Washington, maybe related to George Washington, but he was the darker half of the Washingtons. And uh, he was deputy mayor under Rudy Giuliani and the real smart guy there, too. And Craig Eaton, 10 years, the GOP chairman of Brooklyn. And my sidekick here, Lydia Serrani, where she stands, nobody knows. <laughs> and, uh, I'm an independent. We, we have a great show, a great, great show. I won't even tell you who the rest of the show is, but they're great. Now we have, understand, is Dershowitz on the phone? That's correct. We have Professor Alan Dershowitz, a leading constitutional attorney in the country. Just a couple of decades at Harvard Law. His latest book, his 50th book, The Price of Principle, Why Integrity is Worth the Consequences. Welcome back to Cats at Night, Professor Dershowitz. Well, thanks. I have two Gorbachev stories that I think you'll enjoy. I went to the Kremlin to make a speech on uh, comparing the American economy and the Russian economy, and he was at my table, and I spoke to him. He was then the head of the, the, the country, and it was the night before Rosh Hashanah. And I said to him, Mr. Gorbachev, will you come with me to synagogue tomorrow, the, the, the Coral Synagogue in Moscow? Because there's been a tremendous amount of anti-Semitism in the country, the growth of an organization called Pamyat. And if you came, it would really put an end to it. And he said, Alan, he said, you think I could survive that? I'm barely surviving now. No, I can't go to the synagogue with you, but I will issue a statement against anti-Semitism, which he then did. And it really had an impact on slowing down. He was a good man, uh, yeah. Alan. Then flash forward several years, and this sounds like the beginning of a bad joke. Dershowitz, Gorbachev, Vaclav Havel, and Anatoly Sharansky end up in an elevator. It's true. We were in an elevator in the La Roma Hotel in Jerusalem celebrating 50th anniversary of Israel. I had just given a speech. Gorbachev was in the audience. Vaclav Havel was on my panel. Gorbachev turns to me and he says, oh, the fancy lawyer, the lawyer who says he got Vaclav Havel and Anatoly Sharansky out of prison. I had been both their lawyers. He says, you didn't get them out of prison. I got them out of prison. <laughs> <laughs> and Al, that sounds like my story where me and Margot and uh, uh, Fidel Castro were in the same elevator with a bunch of reporters. And I, I will save that story and tell it again soon. <laughs> okay. And it was an interesting story, but uh, uh, Fidel Castro rescued Margot. Uh, well, my story isn't over yet because Vaclav Havel then turns to – Gorbachev and says, Mr. Gorbachev, if you got us out of prison, why didn't you get us out earlier? <laughs> and, Gorbachev said, and Gorbachev said, that much power I didn't have. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, uh, Alan Dershowitz, there's so many things happening, and I think Nelson Happy, you're going to start. Nelson Happy was dean of the, uh, of the yes, law school no. Regent University. And, That's right. And in middle America, Lawrence, Kansas. So Nelson is an honest guy being from middle <laughs> America. You know, I, I can't swear by all New Yorkers, but Kansas is pretty good. I agree. Tell us uh, the questions uh, you want well, to ask, well, Alan. Well, Alan, uh, Justice Sotomayor turned down the uh, appeal from the Second Circuit today over the uh, New York City detective who was trying to get a temporary restraining order to prevent his being fired or, or put on leave without pay. Uh, because he refused to get uh, vaccinated. Right. Well, is there a takeaway on Justice Sotomayor's decision, do you think, that means something on the case? I think it probably does. You can't tell much from a single justice's refusal. Normally, in a serious case, she might 
survey the other justices and see if there are three or four of them who might want to review the case. So it may be that uh, there isn't enough to review the case. But I think it's sending a message, the same message that has been sent by the Supreme Court, reasonable, reasonable rules regarding vaccination for a deadly communicable disease are going to be upheld by the courts, but unreasonable ones won't be. Well, I was, Alan, I was wondering about the uh, case of Jacobson versus Massachusetts. Back in 1905, the Supreme Court said that the state could pass a law requiring a smallpox vaccination. Would that be applicable here, do you think? Partly applicable. That involved only a $100 fine or something like that. And it was smallpox, which was an incredibly uh, spreadable uh, disease. The data on on COVID are a little more complicated. The vaccination will help you not die, but will it help prevent the spread of the disease? Probably, but not as clearly as with smallpox. So I think the decision is going to be very influential, but it's not a binding precedent. Uh, But speaking about that, thank you, Kansas. You guys did the right thing on abortion. They sent the case back to the state uh, for abortion. Kansas was the first state to have essentially a referendum on it. And it said, we're going to do the sensible thing. Abortion at the beginning is going to be legal. And at the end, it's not going to be legal. That was the right way to go. Well, Kansans are very sensible, I think. And Uh, in a way, uh, to me, it justified the reversal of Roe versus Wade to throw the issue back to states and then let the state decide whether they wanted to regulate abortion or not. How, how do you feel about the Supreme Court's decision well, in well, that? Let me, let me throw you a question back. At the same time they did that, they said, but gun control doesn't go back to the states. That's mandated by the United States Constitution. Don't you think the framers had in mind that every state which had its own state militia, and it says in the Constitution, well-regulated militia, don't you think the states should have at least as much power to regulate guns as it has to regulate abortions, or does it reflect the fact that this Supreme Court is more pro-gun than it is pro-abortion? Well, I hate to think that's the case, Alan. Uh, It's certainly a very good point. I I think the Supreme Court's decision on reversing Roe versus Wade was clearly mandated by the Constitution. But not reversing it in this case, because this case only involved the constitutionality of the Mississippi statute, which allowed abortions up to 15 weeks and said that's a federal issue. And the court reached out and said, even though it's not presented in this case, we're going to overrule the entire Roe versus Wade and not just address this case. So I was critical of the decision. Um, You know, the result, we'll see what happens. And and so is Chief Justice Roberts, right? He disagreed with that. He agreed with me. Uh, professor, right. professor, you know, uh, this is Rudy Washington, but yeah. we appear to be con- contrarians and arbitrary in, in some of our decisions. How can we mandate um, this COVID shot, but at the same time let millions of people cross the border without any yeah. tests? And that, they could come in, we stop point. a tennis uh, pro. I'm not a big tennis fan, but. Djokovic, I think, was his name. Mm-hmm. We stopped him from coming in, but he should have walked across the border. He would have been okay. Mm-hmm. You got a good. You have a good point, of course. And uh, inconsistency has become 
the word of the day, hypocrisy, inconsistency. You know, we used to live by principle. I wrote a book called The Price of Principle, Why Integrity Matters, arguing that we should go back to principles. Today, it's who votes, who has the most votes, who wins, who's in control. We do it because we can do it. Those are the unprincipled ways in which we make decisions, and that explains why the number one tennis player in the world is excluded and people who won't be tested are not excluded. And, and, and Professor, now uh, there's another big controversy going on in New York. Uh, with us uh, right now is calling in from the other side of midnight. We mm-hmm. have Frank Morano. Frank? John, how are you? Professor Good. Dershowitz, it's great to talk Hi. with you, and uh, it's talk great to, to be on with talk such an esteemed panel. Talk to the professor about... That uh, that police officer that you was a uh, you knew you knew him Sal Greco, that uh, got thrown off the force in uh, New York because he was friends uh, with your other friend Roger Stone. I mean, you got to yeah. be careful who you hang around with, Frank. <laughs> John, I hope you you uh, don't treat me the way that Commissioner Sewell treated uh, Officer Sal Greco. But yeah, Professor Dershowitz, I'm sure you've seen some of the coverage um, of yeah. this lawsuit being filed. But this uh, police officer for 14 years was essentially fired for uh, not engaging any criminal activity, not storming the Capitol on January 6th, but essentially being friends with Roger Stone and the former Manhattan Madam Kristen Davis. So he's now filed a lawsuit. And my question for you is sort of twofold. One, uh, one of the issues raised in this lawsuit is the issue of a double standard, because Mayor Adams, when he was a police officer, was a private security guard for Mike Tyson, who at that point was a convicted felon. And also, is that uh, prohibition that the department has for associating with uh, former convicted felons, even once they're pardoned, is that overly broad? And uh, does this lawsuit have any merit in your view? I think it's overly broad. That there's no doubt about. Uh, You're absolutely right about Mike Tyson. I hung around with Mike Tyson. I was his lawyer, uh, and I watched him in Las Vegas. He put on a great show. You don't punish an ex-felon by saying you can't have any friends after you've been rehabilitated, and you can't punish friends by saying you can't associate with somebody who's an ex-felon. Whether it raises the level of constitutionality, uh, it's a hard question. The case has never been presented before. I can see the arguments on both sides. I think the stronger argument is on the officer's side. I think it violates due process by creating a kind of guilt by association. Uh, Yeah, the police department have within their rules uh, something called known associates that um, when you come onto the job, they make you declare, you know, uh, any known associates. So they kind of take that serious. But- so, so Professor Dershowitz, is he being Dershowitz? Are they trying to cancel? <laughs> I was listening. Are, are they trying to cancel this uh, officer, well, former Officer Greco? Well, in part. But, you know, being Dershowitz is a different thing. And I write about it in my book, The Price of Principle. The reason I've been attacked so much is because uh, left-wing Democrats don't want other lawyers to defend Donald Trump. They're sending a message. They're saying, if you defend Donald Trump's rights, even constitutional rights, you're going to be Dershowitz like he was. Your family is going to be attacked. You're going to get calls at three in the morning. Your wife is going to be dissed. Your children are going to be, you know, nobody wants to do that. And so lawyers have called me and said, we'd love to defend President Trump in this case, but we're not going to do it. Our spouses won't let us because of what happened to you. But in a way, he has been Dershowitz because of his ties to MAGA, because of Roger Stone. I think if it had been anybody else, I mean, Mayor Adams, doesn't he have some known associates that are former felons? But, you know, it really discriminates against certain communities. You know, it does discriminate against certain communities. 
you know, if you're a Jewish guy from Borough Park like I am, you're not going to have any known associates who are criminal. But if you come from neighborhoods that have mm. high levels of criminality, even if you're the most innocent person in the world, of course you're going to have some association. And so I think there is an ethnic, an element of ethnic discrimination and other discrimination in this rule. I, I think this is just Trump discrimination. I that's think that's what, what think. it's all about. Mega discrimination. He, he was friends with Roger Stone. Roger Stone was with Trump. So we got to get rid of him. Guilty by association. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of that. I wrote no. a book, another book of that called Guilt by Accusation. So, you know, we live in a world of McCarthyism again. I never thought we'd experience what I experienced when I was in college in the 1950s. I was president of the student body at Brooklyn College, and we were just experiencing right-wing McCarthyism. Now students and others are experiencing left-wing McCarthyism, and it's just as bad. Uh, The other thing I'll ask if I can very quickly, uh, Professor, is apparently one of the things the department did here was they they accused him of having some sort of, uh, you know, something to do with narcotics, even though there was no evidence of that. They no one ever thought that he was on drugs. No one gave him a drug test. But they apparently used that to subpoena his phone records and find that he had had phone conversations uh, with Roger Stone, does that violate uh, some sort of substantive due process that they created this sort of trumped up charge just to get access to his phone records, even though there was no evidence, certainly no conviction of anything having to do with narcotics? Trumped up. Yeah. Yeah. I think that does that does violate, uh, I would think, the Fourth Amendment, that Mm. uh, the idea that you can get a search based on fake allegations. Uh, there's a case called Franks versus Maryland, which deals with that issue. So I think he has, I think there's a good point there too. Uh, well, Professor, uh, I'm just going to ask you one last question, then we have to go on to our next sure. guest. Uh, if you were a betting man, would you put money on Sal Greco's lawsuit or would you put money on the NYPD defense? <sighs> I think I would probably put money on Sal Greco's lawsuit. I think he has a substantial chance of winning, but I don't know all the facts. I, no, I understand. Well, that's from the, why I don't bet money on cases. But uh, that's why I don't bet money on horses, Professor. In a New York court. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Professor Frank Morano. Uh, if you want pleasure. to stay on, stay on because we have somebody in here from the Manhattan Institute on crime. And uh, his name is Rafael Manguel. He's of the Manhattan Institute and he's a senior fellow and head of research. And your first book, Criminal Injustice, it's available out there. It's uh, you authored and co-authored a number of also reports and op-ed issues ranging on uh, talking about urban crime and all the jail violence. And uh, it's a lot going on. A lot of crime plaguing our city streets. We've been going through with Professor Dershowitz on a recent lawsuit with uh, patrolman Sal Greco got thrown off the force for hanging around or talking to Roger Stone or talking to uh, or being a, a supporter of Trump, and we asked Professor Dershowitz where would he put if he was a if he was a betting man would he put money on Sal Greco, the patrol officer that just sued the city for fifteen or twenty million, or would he put money on on the NYPD defending the fact that they should have thrown him out? You know any much about the case of Mr. Morano, who's on Frank Morano from the other side of midnight? Well, we'll, we'll brief you on it. I don't know about the case, no. So I, I unfortunately can't opine on it. Understood. Uh, where you know, there's so much crime going on in the city. 
at what point did he do, to do the New Yorkers say we're mad as hell and we're not going to take it anymore? I'm as mad as hell and I'm not going to take this anymore. <laughs> That's uh, it's a tough question, you know, because uh, if you think back historically, right, think back to 1993 when Mayor Giuliani won his election, largely running on the crime issue. He lost his first election bid, um, despite crime being as bad as it had ever been up until that point. And in 1993, barely won by the skin of his teeth. I mean, really, Staten Island came out in big numbers, but I believe he lost Manhattan in that race. So what that tells you is that you know there, there may be uh, a, a bit more tolerance than we'd all like to think for crime moving in the direction that it's moving in for the next few years. So I, I'm not particularly optimistic that the sort of political pushback that I think needs to happen uh, in order to get these reforms that I think are at the root of a lot of our recent Raphael Edcox uh, here. Reform. What has happened to the broken windows theory, which I know Manhattan Institute way back when was really influential in that, and it was adopted by the NYPD under Rudy Giuliani, and it worked. Is it, uh, yeah. is it still there or not? Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's still there. I think the difference is is that a lot of the order maintenance efforts that, um, you know, are, are sort of part and parcel of broken windows have been undermined by a lot of different reform efforts, by prosecutors not bringing those kinds of cases, um, even when the, the NYPD does make an arrest. And so offenders know that, you know, the NYPD doesn't have a very good answer to the question of or what when they say stop doing X, Y, and Z because they have a pretty good chance of not being prosecuted. And if they are prosecuted, they have a pretty good chance of being right back out in the street, you know, within a matter of hours. Raphael, this is Craig Eaton. Uh, you know, I'm an attorney here in New York City. And, and if you look, I'm looking at the statistics here. And, and I think it's, it's all a result of bail reform, discovery reform. Um, taking away stop, question, and frisk, putting handcuffs on the prosecutors, the judges, and the cops, and taking them off to criminals. But but now the police department, I mean, they're not working with the police officers. Now there's a, a new rule now that police officers can't congregate and can't talk to each other. Uh, it, it's It's ludicrous what's happening here. I mean... All the rights are being taken away from law enforcement, and, and the criminals have all the rights. Well, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, and I've characterized the reform movement, particularly here in New York, in the following way over the last few years, which is that it has been a systematic effort to lower the transaction cost of committing crime while raising the transaction cost of enforcing the law. And I think we're seeing a lot of that. You mentioned, too, the reforms, uh, bail reform, discovery reform. But there's also been the advent of the progressive prosecutor movement, which have made charges less likely, which have made convictions less likely. Um, we've seen uh, the raise the age reform. Now less is more. We've seen the Right to Know Act, all, you know, the, the, the stop and frisk litigation, all of these things that have at the same time made it much less likely that people are going to uh, experience severe consequences for crime commission, while also making it um, much more difficult for the NYPD to do its job. I mean, I wrote a piece from the New York Post a couple months ago, um, uh, or a few months ago, I should say, saying that, look, refunding the NYPD is necessary, but it is not going to be sufficient to get our crime problem back under control, because at the end of the day, what we've seen happen over the last decade is that reforms have made it so that the effect of the NYPD's efforts is going to be much more muted in the future because the rest of the system isn't playing by the same rules. And yeah, no, I agree. Page. I agree. The, the, everyone has to play by the same rules. You know, the police officers arresting people and then they get out within 10 hours. What happens then? I mean, you know, we, we need, a, we need a, a change in the system. We need to change how we do business 
in New York City to get these criminals off the streets, back in prison where they belong. And it's going to take a full full court effort on the prosecutors, the legislators in Albany uh, and the police officers and the judges. Again, we are speaking with Rafael Manguel of the Manhattan Institute, his latest book, Criminal Injustice, What the Push for Decarceration and Depolicing Gets Wrong and Who It Hurts Most. Now, Rafael, Governor Hochul, she seems to be blaming the judges. There was that recent case that became very high profile. Well, two cases, one where the guy had been arrested. He was on lifetime parole multiple, multiple times. He sucker punched the person. God, that person was in a coma and then Hochul made a phone call. And then there's been another case where cops were attacked and she that person was also let out on no bail. Whose fault is it? Is it is it the bail reform? Are the judges not understanding? Can you set the record straight? Oh, I think it's absolutely the reform, and she knows full well that the judges don't have discretion to hold people on the basis of the dangerousness that they pose to the community, right? And, and so that's the real issue, right? That So anything else is not – any other defense is not really responsive to the central critique of New York's bail reform. What Hogel is saying is that, oh, well, these were actually bail-eligible offenses, and so the judge could have imposed bail in those cases rather than releasing them without bail. Uh, true enough, but the the reform also requires judges to use the least restrictive means possible of re- returning the individual back to court. So the, no, the judges are obligated to do the least. Right. Yes. To the, the, the least restrictive means possible only of returning the individual to court. So they can't even consider the least restrictive means possible of, of uh, you know, sparing the community of the offenses that the uh, individual might otherwise commit. And that's where the rubber meets the road, and that's where New York has gone far beyond any other state in the union. Of course, we are the only state in the country that uh, disallows judges from considering dangerousness in any aspect of the pretrial. Uh, out, of, out of 50 states? Yeah. Out of 50 states and D.C. Wow. But, John, John, wow. what's funny is that the, the, they're offering these criminals, like, tickets to sporting events and concerts Swag bags, so that they yeah. incentivize them come back? incentivize them to come back and to court May, well how, let's joke. ask Raphael how many it's actually do come back that are freed on just their own recognizance yeah i mean i don't have the the numbers in front of me now so i can't i, I can't really give you a sense um you know anecdotally i've i've heard that there there, there has been an, an uptick in uh, failures to appear fcas mm-hmm. um I would like to see a systematic analysis of that. The, the, the New York City court system hasn't made that data available. Um, so you want to go see Hamilton. You want to go see Hamilton, you commit a crime. <laughs> and you get front row seats to the play. I've got one question for you, Rob. Quick one because we're almost out of time. Uh, about the, you've given us a lot quick. of statistics showing big increase of crime except for rape. But if law enforcement was doing a job and you were catching more criminals, wouldn't that increase the numbers so that you – would actually be doing a good job and crime numbers would go up? Or, or how do you compute these increases in crime? Well, these increases in crimes are crime reports, right? These are um, re- reports of crime committed. So, yeah, I mean... That, Not versus crimes that might have been downgraded. Or people that were arrested. Okay. Thank yeah. you, Raphael. Thank you so much. And we're going to uh, go to Lou Dobbs now to uh, hear what the financial... Uh, financial community is doing and uh, we're afterwards we have George Venizelos to talk about the FBI guy that resigned yesterday and uh, we have uh, Maria Salazar the congresswoman from Miami there's a war going on in Miami and stay tuned to find out about that war and let's go to Lou Dobbs 
It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Welcome back to the John Katz Matidis Cats at Night show. Thank you so much, Frank Morano, for being <clears throat> on with us again, the other side of midnight. And it's on what time, John? From 1 a.m. until 5 a.m., correct? Every night? Correct. And he, Frank Morano and Curtis Lewa was on from uh, midnight to 6 a.m. most of the time. And Frank from 1 to 5. They keep me up at night just to find out what's, uh, what the truth is and what's happening. And Frank their ratings prove it. Their well, ratings let's let's prove go to, to George Venizelos. George was the head of the FBI in New York for 24 years. And, and uh, George, uh, yesterday, one of the FBI people, uh, the story is one of the FBI people was escorted out of the FBI office. And the story is you later heard that he might have resigned. Uh, tell the uh, All America what, the, what you think the truth is. Well, he was definitely under some type of investigation. It sounds like um, uh, Senator Grassley, uh, Grassley uh, uh, referred a case on uh, some of the biases that was going on with the FBI. It's just, just another sad day for the FBI. You know, and for me, after 24 years of being part of that great organization and, and see what they're going through every day now, it, it's hurtful. But... You need, if there are people within the FBI now, like this person, they need to, they need to make examples of them. Because you cannot have an FBI agent that has political bias. I never had it. You know, we all have our opinions, but you never bring that bias into your job. And if there are people that are doing that, they need, they need, we need to have more people like this. This is about, about the laptop from hell, wasn't it? Right. This That's, guy, Tim Tebow, he rose to public attention. He was one of the 13 assistant special agents who investigated Biden's uh, Hunter Biden's laptop, which the FBI seized back in 2019, well before the presidential election. So they're saying there's some impropriety on his part because he wanted to keep it quiet so as to not, you know, uh, let you know Biden get tarnished by it. The president, of course. Right. And obviously there was some type of internal investigation on this. And it's probably still going on with others. And he became eligible to retire, and he retired. Well, you know what happens. Whether it's the NYPD or the FBI or the Secret Service, they're all 99.999% of them probably good people, except you're going to have a couple of rotten apples. apples. Now, uh, calling in from Miami, we have... Congresswoman Maria Salazar, and she is a congresswoman serving the U.S. representative for Florida's 27th Congressional District. Welcome back to Cats at Night, Congresswoman. Thank you. Wonderful always to talk to Mr. Casamatidis. I am his fan. Well, I'm your fan, too. Now, tell us, I understand there's a war going on on about Spanish radio uh, down in Miami. Tell us about what the heck is going on. Well, what happens is that Mr. Soros bought 18 radio stations, one of them being Radio Mambi, which is the most important conservative radio station in South Florida. And uh, that is uh, what's happening um, with the Democratic Party, that they have understood that the Hispanics are waking up and seeing the light, and that they want to keep us uh, under their, uh, uh, under their uh, dominance. And uh, Mr. Soros put the money down for 18 radio stations. He paid $20 million more than the market price. You know, that has an ideological connotation because I don't think when you're a true capitalist, you don't pay more for the asset. So um, the, the, the whole community is not very happy 
with knowing that Soros, whom we've known very well as the guy who has been funding the Democratic Party and the radical socialist agenda, wants to penetrate the, through the airwaves the minds of the voters. But you know, Mr. Katsimatidis, I represent an area of this country that knows what socialism means. And it doesn't matter what they say to us through television, radio, social media. It doesn't matter. We know that that is a fraud that is beautiful on paper, but it's miserable in practice. Wow. And uh, is the deal closed or is it still subject to FCC regulations, etc.? No, the deal is has been closed. I am sure that now the FCC needs to give the final approval. But I don't see why this uh, sale will not go through. I mean, the Univision Radio sold it to the Soros group, even though Mr. Soros is not on the paper. But we know their agenda because the Hispanics, like I said, they're waking up to the fact that the Democratic Party is unrecognizable. And, you know, I want to tell you, I'm in the United States House of Representatives. I represent the city of Miami, the ultimate melting pot in this country. And we would love to be talking to a party that could be bipartisan, that we can definitely discuss and debate ideas and create the best legislation for the American people. So, Congresswoman Ed Ed Cox here, you are traveling all over the country, I know, in connection with the upcoming midterms. What's your sense of where the Hispanics are going? Uh, The Republicans had that great victory in southern Texas. uh, And uh, so what's, what's your sense of you're right in the middle of the campaign with the Hispanics? Oh, yeah. I would say that I am one of the voices the Hispanic, the brown, the Latino voices in within the GOP. I have been welcomed by my colleagues, and the Hispanics are waking up to the fact that we have been played, that we have been played, that we have been wooed by the Democrats for many years, for 30 years, specifically when it comes to the topic of immigration. And I know that I can tell you, because I was a journalist for 35 years before I decided to serve the public public in another arena, which is in politics, that the Democrats have played with us and they have been promising and promising things that they never deliver. So now it's time and the Hispanics are realizing that the GOP could be everything, but we're not socialists. And Hispanics are in the United States because they are running away from bad government policies. That's why we come to the promised land called the United States. We do not want to live here what we left behind. Congressman Salazar, uh, I have uh, a former assistant secretary of the Army on the phone with us. And I'm going to and it is, maybe you want to stay on for a few more minutes and hear his comments because our I understand our army is running out of bullets. Uh, with us uh, now oh, is God. with us now is former Assistant Secretary of the Air Force. Even though he he graduated uh, West Point, uh, t- tell us, uh, Ty McCoy, tell us what the heck uh, is going on. There's rumors around we're running out of product, and if you order, if you want to order new bullets be- between the bureaucracy, I hear it takes eighteen months. What say you? Well, Katz, unfortunately, you're very correct. We are uh, running out of bullets. Uh, in addition to, to uh, that hurting our readiness, uh, 
because readiness is made up of both men and women and materiel, and we're weak on both. We're weak on materiel. We're weak on spare parts. Uh, we're new to operating tempos. We're weak on bullets. And even worse, uh, we're, 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 work, we're weak on the uh, woke policy because of the woke policy of the Biden administration that seeks to expel a lot of people with mainstream beliefs and push them out with schemes of diversity, inclusion, recruiting transgender people, uh, anti-religious, uh, social monitoring, poisonous harassment of pro-American people and symbols, and uh, really uh, being sort of uh, un-American, anti-American. So they, they can't meet uh, recruiting quotas. Uh, many of the best people uh, that are in the military are leaving or leaving early. And uh, we're facing a, a real uh, dearth of talent uh, to manage and even order the bullets. By the way, uh, the uh, Mr. Secretary, we have Congresswoman uh, Salazar, I believe, is still on the phone. Congresswoman, any any questions yeah. for the uh, former assistant secretary? Well, uh, thank you. Yes, thank you very much for allowing me to uh, be in the same space as someone who has served our country. And the only thing I can do to you and I can say to you is that we have the best military force and might in the world. I do not understand how this is happening. All I can say is that this Biden administration has turned everything upside down. And by, by hearing his comments, all I can think of is that the international community, our allies and our enemies will only think, well, the United States is getting weaker. And that is what the free world cannot allow, because if we do not lead the bad hombres and the bad and the rogue states like China, Russia, Iran, North Korea, Cuba, Venezuela, will only take advantage. I mean, I pray for this country because there is no other better than this one. And I'm sure that that uh, that uh, the general is, is definitely very concerned about what's happening. Congresswoman, this well, is Craig Eaton, and, and it, it's well, an let, embarrassment. Let, let, let embarrassment. Mr. Uh, sure. the Assistant Secretary answer, and then you go next, sure. Craig. Not a problem. Yes, Mr. Okay, Assistant thank Secretary. You. Thank you, Katz, uh, and thank you, Congressman Salazar. We're great admirers of your work in the public sector. And indeed, uh, the uh, people who wish to serve in our military are very much like people who come from other countries to be in America. Uh, the people who want yeah. to serve and protect our country, they join a great military and they get inside and find out that they're not welcome, uh, that they don't uh, have people don't share their belief in America, that the leaders uh, are willing to let activists in the military uh, shape the thinking that uh, America is weak and sinful. It was founded by bad people and that we need to start over and turn the country upside down. And that's a very uh, dangerous business. Uh, that uh, is is going to lead to military uh, marginal readiness, and we w we will go from having a, a very mighty military that is a great deterrent to ever having to fight a war. We can win without war right now, but if we keep going in the direction that we are, that you've described and that Katz has described, we'll find ourselves having to fight because people think we're weak and that we're not ready to defend uh, the the faith and the. Uh, founding principles that uh, lead people to be free in this country. You know, this is Craig and Eaton. And I agree I, with you. Craig Eaton? I, I, th I think it's an absolute disgrace, and I think it's another major failure of the Biden White House. I mean, we, we don't have bullets. We left all those tanks and, the, and all that equipment behind um, last year, and, and it's just getting worse. The migrants are coming in in droves. We're not checking them at the borders. I mean, when is it going to stop? I mean, this whole thing with the bullets, 
I mean, if it, if it wasn't so, so sad and dangerous, it would be funny. But what are we going to do here? I think the White House no, has no clue. They don't have a clue as to what they're doing. Ed Cox? You've got in the President White House. Nixon's for, and President Nixon's uh, in-law. We do not have uh, in our leadership people who actually served in war and understood. And Biden didn't. Uh, you take a look at the, the other people in the administration. They just don't understand it. That's why what happened in Afghanistan. And that's why what's happening with the military. It's all politics. And they're imposing their politics on the military. And that is not what makes the military well, work. We, we pray for our military, and uh, unfortunately, we got to take a break right now. And Congresswoman, thank you so much for coming on. And, and Assistant Secretary, thank you for coming on. And, and God bless America, and we all pray for America, and we're all there behind you guys, and, uh, and thank you. Yes, thank God, you very much. God, God yeah, bless God America. God bless the United States. And when the we United come back, a Senator... Senator Alphonse D'Amato. Keep it right here, Cats Let's take that break. Handling legal matters is stressful. So let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25 plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at Frank FrankBrunoLaw.com. That's FrankBrunoLaw.com. Frank Bruno. He's your numero uno. This is Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Welcome back to the John Katzmatidis Cats at Night show. Now we have on the line for us the greatest senator New York has ever seen, Senator Alphonse D'Amato. And I know you are as mad as hell as usual. I'm as mad as hell and I'm not going to take this anymore. <laughs> What's on your mind, Senator? Well, let me say this to you. I was tremendously distressed and angered uh, when it was revealed, and it's undoubtedly, this is the tip of the iceberg, that the Hunter Biden scandal never became the scandal that it can and should be. And even now, uh, with respect uh, to the FBI going to the biggest media groups there was and saying, hey, there's no truth to this. Don't do this. Their special agent in charge, this guy, Timothy Tobach, who's been in the FBI over 25 years, resigned. We all heard about that uh, after it became known. And I want to congratulate Mark Zuckerberg. Uh, I, I, I have to tell you, he's the CEO of Facebook, and he said publicly that they did not run these stories because the FBI, led by this son of a gun, Timothy Talbot, the special agent in charge, told him, oh, there's nothing to it. These are false rumors, etc." And obviously they did it to other outlets as well. Zuckerberg told Rip. the truth, Senator. George right? Venizelos, I see you shaking your head. What's uh, on your mind? What did Zuckerberg actually say? Zuckerberg said uh, that the FBI came to him and said, listen, there's no truth in this. Don't write this. They're trying to start this up, et cetera, et cetera. And he got them uh, to drop the inquiry, not to to indicate anything. And and let me tell you something. They had this this, uh, uh, device 
for two years, the laptop. They had it for two years. And there's no doubt in my mind, when a full investigation takes place, you're going to find out that this son of a gun, Timothy Tybalt, uh, he kept them uh, from doing what they sh- should have done, which was to expose this horrific thing of Biden playing games. And then they got 50 so-called intelligent experts to issue a phony a letter, a phony letter claiming that the laptop story was, quote, a Russian disinformation. And you know who, who one of the guys was? James Clapper. Now you say, well, who's James Clapper? He was the former director of national intelligence. So this was contrived by the Democratic Party who reached in and was able to get into the FBI at some of the highest levels. Uh, Senator, a, Senator, this is Rudy, Rudy Washington. Don't leave A.G. Yep. Barr out of this. Pardon you know, me? I said don't leave A.G. Barr, Attorney General Barr, out of this. You know, I, I, I was disturbed by the fact that he had to know also. And then he... Well, Denny knife Donald Trump. No, basically. No, let me tell you something. Uh, that you made up. You're, what you're doing is guessing. I'm guessing. No, I'm guessing. You're not, you're I'm not guessing. Wait a minute. <laughs> I'm guessing. There's nothing to substantiate your claim. That's bullshit. <gasps> now, now, we have an absolute irrefutable Mark Zuckerberg who said we made a mistake. He admits it. We made a mistake. We should have run with this story. But. They told us there was nothing to it. This was different disinformation, and he did not, as an honorable newspaper. No, I agree with you. Person, I, I did said, not want. Rudy's to, agreeing with you. Want to do something when he was warned at the highest levels by the FBI. Uh, well, I, right? So don't go turning, turning in somebody who had nothing to do with this. You just made that up. That's no, 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 no. You're right, Senator. I guess. I'm, he's okay. he's the boss of the we FBI. Deal with, we, do, oh, we deal with facts. George we deal facts. Do you well, think I, he knew that the FBI was suppressing this? You really think I, so? I, I There's a few rotten apples up. in any Wait organization. Up. There's always you, a few rotten made apples. You that up, and you ought to be ashamed of yourself. Wow. Okay? Shame on you. You think the present attorney general knows everything that the FBI does? He doesn't unless he put them in charge of a specific investigation, et cetera. I'm mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Okay. (laughs) I'm not going to listen. I didn't call to listen to BS, and that's what you just gave me. Uh, George, any any last uh, Uh, last thing? As I said, I I heard Zuckerberg's statement, and he says nothing about the hunt. They said nothing about Hunt and Biden, so... I don't know where you're getting all your facts, but um, I have to disagree with you on all counts. Wow. That's it. Anybody ever hear, or did anybody else hear about uh, Zuckerberg's uh, statement? I haven't. Sure. I wasn't listening. Yeah, he so. was very subtle. He said, oh, there's Russian disinformation Russian going invade. around, so yeah. be careful. That's he never specifically said no, the Hunter did. Biden, yeah, exactly. but that's inferred. But, but Zuckerberg uh, understood. took it uh, I understand. Uh, yeah. Senator, please hold on. We, we, we have a good friend on the, on the other line, uh, Dr. Mark Siegel. He's going to tell us he's going to live to be 110 at least. Uh, Dr. Mark Siegel, t- t- tell us that, should, that uh, Senator D'Amato should not aggravate himself because we want him to live to be 110. 
I love Senator D'Amato, but I'm putting Valium in the water supply. But I want to tell you, this kind of interaction definitely shoots ratings through the roof. And while I'm on a topic, I want to say that uh, Gorbachev passed away. My wife got here from Moscow because of him. And, you know, he, he by turning to the West, he changed the world. So... We we should honor his memory. I mean, he had a choice the, of pr- pressing the button, starting a war, or letting the Berlin Wall go down. He tried to improve communism. Found it Senator, didn't work. Senator Senator Mato, did part. you know? Did you know uh, Gorbachev? Uh, I met him. Yes. Did you did you did you recognize him as? Uh, did he have a good heart, or what, or what? What kind of person was? Well, he? if you judge him by what's taking place, uh, he did the right thing under difficult circumstances, by not trying to militarily stop the wall from coming down and stop what eventually took place uh, with the uh, freedom of Germany. So we owe him a special debt of gratitude. And don't forget, he had people in the Soviet Union who were not supportive of that. So he did a heck of a job. I still still owe the audience the story about... Uh, when I ask Gorbachev if World War Three almost started, and I'll maybe tell it tomorrow, but yeah, or our audience has to tune in tomorrow. Dr. Mark Siegel, we'll try you again tomorrow because we didn't give you enough time. Al D'Amato, you can have all the time you want whenever you want it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mr. Happy from Lawrence, Kansas. Thank you, Mr. Venizelos. Ed Cox, President Nixon's son-in-law. Rudy Washington may be related to George Washington, but the darker side of the family. And, and we... <laughs> And we have Craig Eaton, Lydia Serrani, and what do we all stand for? Truth, Truth, justice, justice, and the American way. way. God bless America, and God bless the world, because we need a blessing. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.